welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Good morning, everyone. Hope you're well. My name's Peter. As says mentioned, I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and it's a real privilege for me to be here to be able to share with you this morning. I love the fact we serve a God who is able. Imagine if we sung, we've got a God with good intentions, a God who means well, but the fact is we serve a God who's able to fulfill his good intention. And yes, he does mean well, but he's able to back it up through what he's able to do. That's good, don't you think? Excellent. Please take your seats, guys. Can, yeah, give our God a clap. That'd be awesome. Thank you, worship team. Always appreciate what you guys bring every Sunday morning. Let's put our hands together for them as well. It's worth doing, it's worth doing properly, I think. All right. Last Sunday was New Year's Day. And many of us, as says has mentioned, would have spent the evening counting it down, the Saturday evening counting down and clapping and cheering and giving each other kisses and all that sort of stuff that you do on New Year's Eve. And then probably made some resolutions... Has anyone's resolution survived <laughs> a week? <laughs> Good. There's one hand over there. Well done, Kathy. That's awesome. But the fact is that many New Year's resolutions do not survive. We, we talked a little bit about this last week. In fact, they reckon about 45% of people who make New Year's, New Year's resolutions, they don't see the end of January. And about 92% of New, New Year's resolutions don't see the end of the year. And there's some reasons for that, and we look briefly at them. Basically, most people are just too broad in what they actually want. They're not specific. So they have this big ideal of, I want to lose some weight, or I want to save some money, or I want to be a better person. But it's not specific enough to actually know whether you've achieved it. There's no sort of smaller goals to help you along the way that can, that can help, you know, bite-sized sort of goals that can help you achieve that larger goal. Often people, you know, their goals aren't measurable enough. How do I know if I've succeeded? Lose a bit of weight, are you happy with a gram or 250 grams, or do you want to lose five kilos? What is it? Something you can measure. And then accountability is good as well, to share with people what you're actually trying to achieve so that they can help you stay on track. So all of those things are good. And, um, you know, we, we sort of thought, well, yeah, people are making New Year's resolutions, and, and those things are good, and, but many of those things are about us, and nothing wrong with that. But we thought, as a church, we want to start the year getting people to live larger and think bigger. I mentioned last week that many people are Christian in name, just by virtue of being in our country, many people, you know, if they have to fill out some forms, they put down that they're, they're a Christian by religion or by fact of being in Australia or because their parents are Christian or whatever. And so to me, the term Christian itself is not really enough. You and I need to be, aspire, I think, to become followers of Jesus. Okay, people who are committed to following in his footsteps. And I think as we do that, then people will be able to distinct, understand there is a difference. And they won't be calling Christians such hypocrites because they'll understand there is a difference between followers of Jesus and those who are just Christian in name. Does that make sense? Excellent. So we looked at some of the things that we can, we're looking at over this month of January, some of the things that we can resolve to do if we want to be a follower of Jesus. What are some of the attributes? What are some of the actions and attitudes of those who are followers of Jesus? And last week, I kicked it off by just looking at the fact that if we are a follower of Jesus, one of the things that we could resolve is to resolve to live beyond ourselves. Looked at the fact that we can, uh, some ways that we can do that, some of the smaller goals. We can be appreciative. We can, you know, daily count our blessings. We can ask God to help us to be more aware 
of what's going on around about us. Because there's a whole bunch of stuff going on around your, uh, in, within your sphere of influence that possibly you haven't been aware of in the past. And God can help us to be aware in order that we might take action as God's people. And I trust and actually have been quite encouraged to hear that people already have been taking that to heart. And already I'm hearing stories back of people who have, who have suddenly become aware of some things that they can actually do something about within their sphere of influence. And they're beginning to do those sort of things. And as I said, the fact that you and I are connected to God gives whatever we do eternal significance. It might seem small, it might seem insignificant, perhaps in the bigger scale of things, but ultimately there's nothing like impacting a person's life with the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. That's the only thing that goes on forever. All right, so that's a little bit of a a bring you up to speed sort of moment. And so today we're looking at part two of this I Resolve series. And we are talking today... I'm sharing about I resolve to live healed. I resolve to live healed. What do I mean by living healed? Well, many people today are living wounded. Many people today don't get beyond their hurts, their disappointments, their failures of the past. Many people are captive to those things that that went wrong in the past. Many people today are dictated to by those things. The choices they make, the attitudes they carry are a product of some of the stuff that went wrong in the past. They are living wounded. Many people are defined by some of the stuff that went wrong in the past. This is the person that, that lost their husband. This is the person that, that, that you know, had great aspirations on the sporting field, but you know, something went wrong. Or, and they live, they're defined by those moments. And God's not calling us to live that sort of life. God is calling us by His grace, through His Holy Spirit and what Jesus has done, to be able to actually move on, to be able to move past those things that are trying to hold us captive and keep us small and wounded. God's in control. If we, if we understand that all that takes place in our life, God is actually beyond that, that he's in control and he's able to bring good out of bad, we can begin to live in this place called healed. Okay, is this making sense? Does this sound like something that we might want to know a little bit more about this morning? Excellent, good. Well, I want to have a look at some things that will actually help us to be able to get on some of those things of the past. If the things I share on, I'm just going to, I guess, scratch the surface off. There's going to be some things that you, I, I'm, I trust, if you want to know more, you can, you can do your own digging, you can do your own research, you can go to the Bible for yourself, because I'm just going to skim across the surface, but hopefully I'm going to whet your appetite this morning. But the first thing I think important, that's important in terms of living healed is just this, be prepared. Be prepared for what? Be prepared to get hurt. You will get hurt. Most people's disappointments come from their unrealistic expectations. You know, many people, when they get married, they have all sorts of expectations about what married life is going to be like, about who's going to do what jobs, about how much sex they're going to get, all this sort of stuff, all these expectations. And if those expectations are not met, what happens? Disappointment. And um, so it's just these wrong expectations that we have. Sorry, my thing keeps turning off. I want to just adjust this, if you'll excuse me. Thought I did it, but I must have forgot. That's better. I might turn off me now. Keep losing my spot. So basically, being a Christian doesn't make us immune from trouble or disappointment. But sometimes we don't get that. We have unrealistic expectations 
as Christians? Anyone ever experienced that? Everyone ever thought, I'm a Christian, it'll be okay now. I'm a Christian, my marriage will be perfect suddenly. I'm a Christian, my financial troubles are over. I'm a Christian and I go to church, there's nice people at church, I'll never get hurt by people again. Has anyone had those sort of expectations? Expectations about what God will do for you. I'm tithing. I will experience financial blessing. I did a good thing yesterday. I will be prosperous. I did something good. It will be received the right way. All of that sort of stuff is about expectations that we have. And the only trouble is that for many of us, our expectations are not grounded in well-rounded theology. We're not, they're not grounded in a well-rounded understanding of the Word of God. We like to pick and choose, don't we? When we read the Bible and when we listen to sermons and we pick books from Kurong, we generally pick books and listen to things around the subjects that we like to hear. And for some people, like, they want to hear about being prosperous and happy. They want to hear about um, you know, this thing or that thing. And, and so we, we sometimes get a, a, a distorted view of what really like God has said this life is about. And when we do that, I think we're setting us up, ourselves up for disappointment when things don't really go how we expect them to go. If our theology is too small to cope with life's challenges, it's not Jesus' fault. Jesus spent ample time, so much time, in trying to paint a picture for his disciples of what it really meant to follow him. And I'm sure sometimes you just want to gloss over it and go, okay, Jesus, let's get on with the healing thing. Let's get on with the deliverance thing. Let's get on with being popular. Let's get on with feeding the 5,000, all that sort of stuff. And Jesus said, hey, guys, God, it's not going to be that easy. One of the things he says in John chapter 16, verse 33, he says, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. He's been telling them a little bit about some of the things that are upcoming. And he says, in this world, and I want you to remember this, if you remember nothing else, in this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, for I've overcome the world. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Think about it. Jesus, the most perfect person that ever lived, with the purest motives and the greatest hope for every individual on the face of the planet, if he was misunderstood, if he was rejected, we'd better realise pretty quick that there are going to be times when you and I, with our best intentions, our good actions, and all of those things that I spoke about last week, when we do those things, sometimes it's not going to go well for us. Sometimes people are going to get it wrong or misinterpret what we're doing. Sometimes people are going to get our face and call us do-gooders and all of that sort of stuff. It's not necessarily going to go well just because we want it to go well. We live in a broken world. We live in a world that is full of broken people. Even the church is full of broken people. That means that we cannot control everything that comes into our lives. It would be nice if we could, but we can't. We've got to settle that. What we can control is the way we respond to what comes into our lives. And if we understand that, I think we can walk in this place, which I would love to see myself do more and I would love to see all Christians do more and that's to walk in that middle road between naive optimism you know if I tithe I'll never have any financial problems again or if I pray I will be healed and never have any problems physically again you know because there's there's elements of truth in that but if we just lay on hold of that little bit of truth without taking the into uh, without factoring the rest of what the Bible has to say, we're setting ourselves up for disappointment. So we're not going to be naively optimistic, but the other thing is we don't want to sort of move into gloomy you know, cynicism either. And I think as the church, we have good grounds to be totally optimistic about the future, but we need to be 
mindful that we're living in a broken world and this current reality in which we live is the, is the in-between period between when Jesus came to establish the kingdom of God, but we're not yet in the fulfilment of what, all that Jesus came to do. Does that make sense? Excellent. All right. So difficulties actually don't mean that God doesn't love us anymore. It actually means the opposite. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7, it says, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons, and that includes the, the girls as well. For what son is not disciplined by his father? We're called to accept the difficulties that we face as evidence that God is there. It's part of his parenting plan for us. He has a plan in the difficulties that we face. He's treating us as his children, and he wants us to grow up. He wants us to become more like Jesus. He wants us to become holy, ultimately. Okay, so if you've got struggles in your life, don't drop your bundle. Don't get all bent out of shape. Don't think God doesn't exist or God doesn't care or, you know, there's something wrong with this church. This is just life. And if we understand that, I think that's the, the first step towards being able to live healed. Okay? The second step is about being forgiving. Because most of the junk that comes your way and my way, most of the hurt, most of the pain, most of the disappointments that you will experience doesn't become because of the weather. It doesn't come because of the animal kingdom. Although pets can be frustrating at times, I'm sure. But ultimately, it comes because of people. And the fact is, if you're in the church, it's probably come because, mostly because of Christians, because there's going to be a good portion of the people that you're rubbing shoulders with are Christians. And so we have a choice. We can either hold a grudge, we can shut people out, we can speak badly about them and do all the other stuff that people do when they're hurt and bent out of shape, or we can do what Jesus taught and what Jesus demonstrated because he didn't do those things. He was badly treated and without reason. You and I are badly treated, often with good reason, because we're not perfect and we're part of the problem. But Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 and 22, um, Peter comes to Jesus and he's obviously got issues with someone and he's counting about how many times he's tried to do the right thing by this person. And he, Peter comes to Jesus and he goes, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times. He was probably on six. Probably looking for a way out. And Jesus answers, I tell you, not 70 times, but 77 times. And he goes on and he tells a story about a servant and a, a, who owed a great deal of money and was forgiven and then didn't pass on the favour and the judgement that brought on his life because he was unwilling to forgive. We see as Jesus is hanging on the cross, having endured all that he endured just prior to that, and he's actually not gnashing his teeth at those who are standing around abusing him and those that are you know, already gambling for his clothes and all that sort of stuff, but he's praying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And I think if we are going to get past living wounded, if we're going to get past the place of holding grudges and being hurt and negative stuff spewing out of our lives, we need to be able to get to that place. Like Jesus, we're able to understand the importance of forgiveness and to then put that into practice. As, Jesus, as followers of Jesus, I think one of the primary callings that we have in life is not to take things too personally. Understand that bad stuff will happen because we live in a broken world. But it's not all a personal attack against you. 
And if we have that, it's going to help us. I want to just mention quickly some things about forgiveness. I'm just going to rush through them quickly for the sake of time. Again, it's a much bigger topic. There are many better sermons than this one, specifically on this topic, that you can go and have a look further into it. But I just want us to remember a few things about forgiveness. The first thing that makes it easier for you and I to forgive when we don't feel like it is this. We all need forgiveness. Never forget that when we stand on our horse, sit on our high horse and look down at others... How could they have possibly done that? They don't deserve my forgiveness. That there's someone else looking down from their high horse, looking at our lives, saying, how could they do that? They don't deserve my forgiveness. We all need forgiveness. So I think that revelation should make us much much quicker to actually give forgiveness ourselves. The second thing, which is a little bit of a scary thing for me, but nonetheless it's in the Bible, and I think we don't think about this often enough, is that in Matthew chapter 6, I think it's verse 10, where Jesus is teaching the disciples how to pray, One of the lines in that prayer is this scary little thought. Forgive us our sins. We love that bit. But it says, as we forgive those who sin against us. Matthew 18 backs that up. If you read the whole passage, he talks about those not being forgiven who are unwilling to extend forgiveness. Now that, you can just chew on that for a little while at your own leisure. But that to me is not something I can just lightly gloss over as a Christian. The third thing is that unforgiveness, has been said many times in this book, is like drinking poison and expecting someone else to die. Forgiveness is not about them, it's about you. If you want to live free, if you want to live healed and healthy, we need to be able to forgive others. Because many times people are out there doing their thing, having hurt us, and they're not even aware they've hurt us. They're just, it's just... You know, the impact of what they're doing has impacted us negatively and we're festering and we're spewing and we're talking negatively and getting all angry and they're just carrying on their merry way. They're not even aware many times they've actually hurt us. And so our unforgiveness doesn't impact them at all. But it definitely impacts us, doesn't it? So we need to recognise this is about us, not about them. Put yourself in the other person's shoes. It's always easier to forgive when you step into their shoes for a while. Again, when we stand aloof and we think, well, I would never do that, it's hard to forgive. But when we get into their situation and they put ourselves in their shoes, try and understand some of the pressures that they're experiencing, try and understand some of the things that that they've gone through in the past, try and see how what we said or what we did impacted them, it just makes it so much easier again to forgive. Is this making sense? Excellent. I think you can have a better marriage if you apply some of this stuff. I think you can have better relationships all around. I think as a church, we can get along well if we would apply some of these things. Ask yourself, why am I hurt by this? What's actually going on here? Because you know, just maybe what they've did is, is they haven't really said too much at all, but my reaction is out of all proportion to what was actually done. You talk to someone else about it and they go, what, you let that upset you? That's probably a good indicator that it's actually your issue. And God, because he loves you and he's committed to you, he's actually allowed this circumstance to come your way because he wants to root something out of your life. He wants to make you bigger, better, stronger, more holy, more like Jesus, etc. And so let's not look outwardly and talk about and worry about all their issues, but let's ask the question, what's my issue here? If I can't get past this, what's my issue? And maybe it is something that goes back. Maybe, maybe that thing that, that that person said did remind you of you know, the abusive childhood you had when you were growing up and all that. So you can't do too much about that other than maybe process it, ask God to help you with it, etc. But let's not 
let all that stuff unload on that person or towards that person because it doesn't help us. Communicate where possible. Talk. I don't mean in a pious, religious way where you catch up with someone afterwards and say, after church, I forgive you, brother. They're going, okay, what for? (laughs) Probably better to take the low road and say, the other day when you said such and such, did you actually mean anything by that? Because it actually hurt a bit. Were you insinuating something? And to give the person the opportunity to ex- explain themselves first is creates an environment where it's easy to forgive, it's easy to move on and get past stuff. Often sally and I, we're, we're involved in people's marriages. We, 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 we're counselling and, and people are at loggerheads and they're fighting tooth and nail about things that are in themselves not too big, but it's just, it's just the frustration that builds up over years as people don't talk properly and as they misinterpret this sort of thing and they make assumptions about the person's motives and all that sort of stuff. And sally and I have the privilege of coming in and just helping untie a few of the knots by saying, have you actually talked about this? When you did that, what were you thinking? Were you really out to hurt the person that deeply? Well, no, actually, I just thought if I did that, that would actually be helping out. Okay, do you understand? Ah, oh, oh, really? Oh, well, thanks. Didn't un- and th- that sounds really like basic, yeah? But that happens all the time. We get so locked in to the problem. We get so defensive. We, we don't see things as they really are. And the last thing I just want to mention about forgiveness is just learn the lessons, but be open to change. Learn the lessons. You know, if someone really hurts you time and time and time and time and time again, that doesn't absolve you of your responsibility to forgive them, but you might want to be a little bit careful how much you trust them. There's a difference. You know, trust, when it's been violated, needs to be rebuilt. Okay, and there are things that can be put in place that you can talk about and, and work towards. When, when there's been violations of trust in relationships, you know, people should really be talking about what happened and, and what can I do differently to help rebuild the trust. And over time, we need to be gracious enough to accept that, yes, this person can actually change and give them room to change. But to just you know, say sorry and, and then say, well, I forgive you, and then expect that everything's just going to be okay after that, well, that's probably a little bit in that naively optimistic sort of category. But we don't want to get cynical and bitter and twisted and trust nobody and build a little bunker to hide in so we don't get hurt again. That's not what Jesus lived like. Okay? And the third thing I want to look at, trying to be quick today. <laughs> the third thing I want to have a look at, which is all important and which I've already alluded to, to get already. So it's about just being prepared that we will get hurt. Knowing that can be a measure of protection. Being willing to forgive when we do get hurt also can begin the healing process. And thirdly, it's about keeping perspective. Just put things in their right perspective. The perspective in the past, in the present, and in the future. One of my favourite scriptures, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, it says, For our light and momentary troubles. Now, Paul, when he says that, is not talking about the sorts of things that you and I generally talk about when we're talking about our troubles. You know, for us, it's maybe... Um, you know, the bank balance is getting a little bit low or my wife didn't quite understand what I meant the other day and, you know, we had a Barney over that or, you know, things are getting tougher at work. Or That's not what Paul's talking about. He is talking about, he is a guy who was pushed from pillar to post. He was, I believe, literally murdered at one point and was raised to life again. 
He was, had stones thrown at him. He was shipwrecked. He was misunderstood wherever he went. And he says, for our light and momentary troubles. I love that. This is awesome perspective in that, don't you think? But he says this, these light and these momentary troubles, the fact that I'm misunderstood, persecuted, hated, physically beaten and abused, the fact that all that's happening, they're achieving for us something which outweighs all that. He says they're achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them, outweighs them all. So the persecution, the stoning, the abuse, the misunderstanding, the gossip, the slander, everything that he had, he said, if I put them on a scale of what's coming compared to what is, they don't even compare. And if you and I can understand and adopt that perspective, I think we can go a little bit further in our way to living healed. Understanding that the things that seem so big to us aren't necessarily so big in the bigger picture. You know, the more you focus on an issue, the more more you think about that dirty, rotten mongrel who took your money or who said something bad about you, spread rumours, you know, the more you think about them, the more you think about them. <laughs> the bigger they get in your thinking, they begin to intrude on every area of your life. You begin to watch TV and, and, and the people, the stuff, it reminds you of them. You meet someone in the street and it reminds you of them because it's a little character, it might be the shoes they're wearing, it's the same shoes as what that person, and suddenly, oh, you're starting to fester and your blood's starting to fizz again. The more you focus on an issue, the larger it's going to become in your life. If it's a negative issue, it will become larger and overwhelm you. If it's a positive thing, it's going to become larger and buoy you up and inspire you. We need to take a step back from our problems and see things as they really are. I was thinking in the prayer meeting this morning, there are some, and again, Tone's mentioned this many times, but there are some sayings that I grew up with in my home. And one of them was, in the light of eternity, what else doesn't matter. You know, another one is the best is yet to come. Another one is greater is he that's in you. And another one was I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But that first one, what does it matter in the light of eternity? That's what Paul was saying. Whatever you and I are going through, does it really matter when you, consider, when you compare it to forever forward? In the light of what Jesus himself endured on your behalf, as he hung on a cross, was able to say, forgive them, Father, they don't know what they're doing. In the light of that sort of commitment to us as individuals, does our stuff really matter? Is it really worth getting that bent out of shape and doubting God about and feeling misunderstood or neglected and holding on to stuff that negatively impacts others? Or can we look at Jesus' example and be inspired by that? Say, Jesus, if you did it and I'm following you, I can let that thing slide. I can push through that. Yes, it hurts, but the best is yet to come. And, and, and you're faithful to your word. You've, you've proved how truthful and how faithful and trustworthy you are. So it's pretty bleak now, it's pretty black now, but your word does say that all things come together for good for those who love you and are called according to your purposes. So therefore, as much as I'm gritting my teeth now, the corners of my mouth can turn up because I can see what's beyond that and I can see what's ahead. That's real Christianity. That's what Paul lived in. Paul had many wonderful things taking place in his life, but he didn't live glibly in this glib optimism. He, he faced up to some tough stuff, tough, some tough stuff. He said, at one point, we despaired of life. We wanted to die. We were probably praying, they were praying prayers like, take me now, Lord. I don't want to go on. These guys don't deserve it. Get me out of here. 
It was that real for him. But in the midst of that, he wasn't overwhelmed. He didn't go and eat worms and you know, become a hermit. He continued to sow himself into people. You know, it says, um, you know, Paul says this, I think it's Galatians chapter 2 or thereabouts. I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking with regards to Christ's affliction. It might be Ephesians chapter 2. But I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking. In other words, whatever Jesus did, that, that's a complete work in and of itself. But there's a hurting world out there. And following Jesus' example, I recognise that maybe I've got to suck it up a bit. Maybe I've got to about to absorb a bit of pain and a bit of suffering and a bit of stuff in order that the good news will continue to get out. Because Jesus' work is finished, but the message of getting the word out isn't finished. And so are we prepared to put ourselves out? Are we prepared to be misunderstood? Are we prepared to be spoken about and persecuted and all that sort of stuff? Paul was because of the bigger picture, the eternal glory that outweighs everything that's happening in the here and now. In the light of what others are going through, you know, some of the stuff that you and I get all bent out of shape about, when we even just compare it to perhaps people that we know, or if we look beyond our shores and we see some of the, the hardships that people are enduring, you know, we, maybe you've, you know, you're unemployed and you get all bent out of shape that, you know, those guys down at Centrelink, they are such mongrels, they take forever to do anything. Really. Just, it just shows how far we can and so easily we can drift. And I'm not having a shot at that particular, because that example translates into all of our lives at various times. Oh, I had to go to the doctor, I had to wait an hour, I had to wait three hours to get into emergency at hospital, rather than thank God there's an emergency, at hosp- an emergency room at hospital. Thank God we've actually got a hospital to go to. Thank God it's not going to cost me an arm and a leg to actually pay for whatever um, you know, procedures they did. We can just sort of get caught up, and again, it's that. We bring things in and we focus on the, the, the annoying, niggly things rather than see the bigger picture. And, and, and as I mentioned last week, you know, look at the amount of blessing that we do have in our lives. So in the light of what we're going through, do we really have a right to hold on to our hurts? Do we really have a right to complain? Is that reflecting the sweetness of the person of Jesus Christ? I mean, if anyone had reason to get bitter, twisted and bent out of shape and vindictive and all of that sort of, it would be, surely be Jesus. But he didn't. He continued to give and to love. You know, my Bible tells me that God is gracious, that he's compassionate, that he's loving, that he's generous, that he's forgiving, that he's trustworthy, that he's kind, etc., etc., etc. And this is our example. This is the one that we're called to follow. And so I don't know about you, but I think as we consider things in their right perspective, that rather than get bitter and twisted and bent out of shape and become a shell of a person, we can look to what Jesus' example is. We can look to the blessing that we have. We can put it in its right perspective. We begin to live with a sweetness. You know, being a Christian and being inspirational as a Christian isn't about being the richest person in the street, materially speaking. But I think it's about the attitudes that we have and the way that we deal with some of the issues that we have in our life. And I think sometimes we focus on the wrong sort of stuff. And you know, we think, if, you know, how could I possibly witness to that rich man because I'm just some poor guy. But the rich man's no happier. The rich man's got his issues. And he just wants to see a real Christian. He just wants to see someone who really says, I don't need all the trappings and actually be happy in that 
rather than continue to strive for it all. The person who really knows what it is to get badly hurt, but to let it go and continue to be sweet towards the person that's done the hurting. If you and I can begin to live like that, I think that people are going to be inspired to want to know this Jesus that we serve. Are you living healed? You might be saying, well, I do live healed. I'm, you don't really need to talk to me. I am healed. I'm, I'm happy at the moment. Are you happy because you're healed or are you happy just because your circumstances are okay at the moment? I'm just going to ask you a few questions and I'm done. Are you living healed? Do you continually bring up the past? If you're continually bringing up past events, maybe it's, again, in the context of marriage, maybe it always goes back to what you did way back when. If that stuff keeps coming up and you're not having exciting new arguments all the time, (laughs) possibly you're not living healed. Do you harbour ill feelings towards people or certain people? Possibly you're not living healed. Are you unable to rejoice when good things happen to others? Maybe you can rejoice when most when good things happen to most people, maybe there are certain people, when you hear they've got a race, or you hear they've got a girlfriend or a boyfriend, you hear they've got married, that something just goes off inside. It's an indicator that there's an area that God wants to bring some healing into your life. Have you written people off and leaving them no room to change? Because again, we need to learn the lesson. We need to not just be willy-nilly with our trust. Trust needs to be earned and upheld. But people can change. You and I have all changed since we've come to know Jesus. And so we need to extend that grace to others. These are some of the symptoms. These are some of the the indicators that maybe there's an area in our life that is unhealed, that is wounded still. And Jesus wants to come into your life through the work of the Holy Spirit. And he wants to be able to release you from those things that are holding you in the past and ultimately will affect the way that you reflect him. We are here on his business. We're his ambassadors. We're not our own anymore. And so as he's called us, as he lived as our example, we're called to live in the same manner. And so can we just bow our heads? I just want to just pray for anyone who, who acknowledges that, yeah, I actually need some healing in my life in some of those areas. I've spoken not specifically about physical healing, I know, but talking about the area of the emotions and ultimately there's often a lot more pain associated with that. So if you're here this morning, and some of the stuff I just shared, you know, you find that there are people that you haven't, or things that you haven't been able to let go of. While our eyes are closed, and maybe our heads are bowed, it'd be great if we could do that. If you could just signal to me and say, Lord, yeah, Lord yeah, you're just saying, Lord, I want to be able to be released from some of this stuff. I want to move forward. I want to be a person who is healthy and whole, spirit, soul, and body. As much as it's within my power to do so, I want to let go of some stuff and find healing. Is there anyone else? I just want to spend a moment just praying. Excellent. Father, you've seen these hands that are raised. They represent people who, like the rest of us, have experienced hardship and hurt, disappointment, and have been unable to process that properly. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come into their lives in a fresh new way right now, that by your grace you would bring perspective, you'd help them to see things the way they really are, help them to see things from the other person's perspective, help them to understand 
how this thing fits into your bigger picture, the fact that even in the worst possible circumstances, you are bringing about good in our lives. And may there be a, a peace made with some of those circumstances and situations and people, Lord, that we can move on and reflect your sweetness, your goodness, your compassion, your grace, all of these things, I pray, in Jesus' mighty name. God, help us, I pray. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen. God bless.